0: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Luke is written so that we might know we have a reliable faith. The events written about in the book were eyewitness accounts that Luke researched and wrote down for all to see. We have seen that Jesus, the Savior of the world, was born to a poor carpenter family in the city of Nazareth. He grew up and lived a normal life, doing woodwork till the age of 30 when he started his public ministry, calling all people to repent of their sins and turn to God. Jesus performed many miracles, healing the sick, the blind, the paralyzed, even calling out demons that had gone into people. He called out the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy, making them want to kill him. Jesus began to teach in a public area. He taught of how God loves and how everyone ought to show the same love, even to their enemies. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 6, verse 39.
1: We are here in this sermon on the plain, often confused with the Sermon on the Mount, but it's a different sermon. And in this sermon, Jesus, he starts it by blessing those who are humble and want more of the Lord, and then voicing his sadness for the those who are proud and self-satisfied. As Jesus started that sermon, for those who were... Part of the struggling group this was the validation they were looking for yeah jesus is on our side he's against all those the powerful and the the prideful but instead the sermon take of stoking that anger the sermon takes a, a turn after that where jesus he calls them to love their enemies those who've been mistreated by the proud and the powerful jesus calls them to love those people and such a teaching offends us that's wrong injustice is wrong and people in power when they abuse it and and they're corrupted it's wrong and we need to do something and jesus it's not that he's for injustice but because this teaching offends our warp sense of justice he closes a sermon now by driving home the importance of looking at me first I'm not looking at everybody else and pointing out what's wrong there, but looking at me first to make sure I'm doing what God wants. Because if I do that, then I will be living by kingdom rules. Then I I can speak truth that will impact lives, because that's exactly how Jesus did it. He loved his enemies. He did good to those who despitefully used him. He was generous. He was compassionate, even towards those who had mistreated him. And as we follow his example, we can impact lives as well. To speak this, though, Jesus has to do something a little bit out of the norm. It says in verse 39 here, where we pick it up, and he spoke a parable unto them. Now, a parable is simply an illustration that teaches a lesson. When you read a parable in the Bible, you're not supposed to figure out every little detail and find out all these hidden codes or messages God's trying to give in a parable. That's not the design of a parable. It's our job to figure out the key lesson of the parable. That's it. Not dissect all the minute details. Now, most of the time, the lesson, Jesus explains it afterwards. For example, in the lesson of the parable of the landowner, he went out to the market to try to find people to work his land that day. He found some guys. He said, hey, if, how about you come work my land you know, all day and I'll pay you a denarius, a day's, a day's worth of pay. And they're like, sure. And so he signs them up. But he realizes he needs more men. And so he comes back out a little bit later, hires some more guys, comes back out later, hires some more guys. And then at the end of the day, he knows he's not gonna get the work done. So like at the 11th hour, he goes out and he says, hey guys, you wanna come work? I'll, I'll, I'll pay you, what, you know, pay you whatever I pay you. So there's no contract, but I'll pay you whatever I pay you. I'm like, sure, man, we're standing around here all day, had no work, we'll go work for an hour and get paid something, so at the end of the day, all the work gets done, and he goes to pass out the money. Now, the guys who were there at the start of the day, he gives them their denarius, their day's wage, just like he's just like supposed to. And then he goes all the way down the line, he gives everybody the same wage. And when he gets to the very last group that only worked for an hour, he pays them the same thing. And so the guys who were there all day are like, what's up with that? We worked here all day. And so the, the owner says, that's what you agreed to work for. I agreed to pay them whatever I wanted to. Are you jealous because I'm generous? That whole parable has lots of thoughts in it, but the whole point of it is the end point. Are you jealous because I'm good? Jesus, he spoke the parable because his disciples were saying, That rich young man, he left you because he didn't want to give up all his riches to follow you. We've left everything, Lord. What do we get? And the Lord's reminded him, Don't be prideful. Don't think you're better than somebody else just because you've done more work than them. Stay humble and be faithful. And that's all that matters. That's the point. When we get to these, the same thing. There's one lesson each parable is designed to show us. Now, Jesus gives four parables here at the end of the sermon. You might be thinking, okay, why use illustrations? Why not just say, hey, don't be jealous or don't be prideful? Well, Jesus said he used parables because if he straight out made his point, people would tune him out. They wouldn't listen. That's what he says. He says, if I just came out and said, stop being mean, people would be like, well, I've got a good reason to be mean, and they'd tune him out. But when he would tell a parable, they would go, what's this guy getting at? And they'd listen, and he'd be able to get his point across. Now, Jesus had said some, just said some pretty heavy stuff, right, in the sermon? Love your enemies, turn the other cheek, be generous to everybody. I mean, many of these listeners are probably thinking, you know, this Jesus guy's gone too far. Love your enemies, that's crazy. Do good to those who despitefully use you? Turn the other cheek? So knowing that some are going to begin to tune him out because what he's saying is heavy, Jesus now recatches their attention with these four masterpieces from his art gallery. So chapter 6, we go in verse 39. The first one is, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? word there can actually there's another word that comes before it in the original language and it's a, a negative particle which basically means that it turns the sentence on its head so we can't say can the blind lead the blind but we should say it should be translated surely the blind cannot lead the blind and he explains why shall not both then fall into the ditch if you are the blind person can't lead and instruct the other blind person about where to go because they can't see themselves. Now, Jesus is not taking a dig at the visually impaired here. He's simply stating that if a visually impaired person is going into the unknown, they will need some form of assistance from someone or something that can see for them. Okay, great, Jesus. Wonderful story. What's the point? Verse 40. The disciple is not above his master. It means teacher. But everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. The disciple, the learner, they are not superior to or farther along on the road than the teacher. It says in verse 20, when he starts the sermon, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So he's speaking to people who've been following him. He's been their teacher for a while. And if they're going to be his disciples, they needed to live by these principles of love that he laid out. Why? Because he was already living them out. That's the direction he was going. That's where he was taking them. And if they were going to go a different direction and think that they could help anybody else out in the process, they would be like the blind leading the blind and they're going to fall into a ditch. Jesus, it's interesting. When we look at everything in this sermon, it says, blessed are the poor. We talked about how that's humility. Jesus was humble. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, which was earlier than this in his ministry, he said, come unto me, I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus was humble. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He wept for the lost and the proud. And he had been persecuted. He had just recently in chapter five, he had been unjustly critiqued and plotted against by the religious leaders. So how did Jesus respond to that? Did he retaliate? Not at all. Jesus let them follow him around, even though they were only there to be critical, even though they were plotting against him. He patiently taught them. Even though some of the things they did, the Bible says, made him angry he patiently taught them. Jesus did everything that he teaches us to do in this sermon. He's already doing it. So we need to follow his example. And that's the first point Jesus is trying to close out his sermon with. The first illustration's point is we need to follow Jesus' example. If you and I think we can improve on the way Jesus teaches us to interact with others by exacting justice against our enemies, then we have supplanted Jesus' leadership and we're like a blind man trying to find our way in the dark. I'm going to stumble. You're going to, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to go off track. And I would ask you this morning, do you think you can improve on Jesus's way of dealing with people? If you do, that's the highest mark of spiritual immaturity in a believer. It is. It's the highest mark of spiritual immaturity in a believer when they say, I know God says this, but I think I know better. It is. That is a sign of an immature believer. I will get people that will come to me sometimes and They'll have difficult stuff. You may have some things that God says in his word that's hard to do. And people will come to me and with a hard situation, I'm like, man, they are not gonna like my answer. And you'll turn the scripture around you give them the scripture. Hopefully they'll say, all right, that's what God says. That's what I need to do and he'll help me do it. But frequently I'll hear people say, I go, that ain't gonna work in my marriage or that won't work in my family or that won't work for, for my job or that won't work in my situation. That's a mark of spiritual immaturity. When you think that, your solution is only going to get you in trouble because you're not further along than your master. And this is how he did life. This was his example before us. Now, in contrast, everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. The word "they're perfect, is a medical term for setting a bone or a joint. So it means those who have been completely restored, those who are completely adequate for a task, will be like their master. Now, are you exactly like Jesus yet? then you're still a work in progress, right? So you still need to follow his example. You still need to take his advice. You still need to follow his commands. Don't venture into your own ideas. The first lesson from the first parable is, you know, you need to follow Jesus's example. Lesson number two, from illustration number two, verse 41, and why do you behold the mote that is in your brother's eye, but perceive not the beam that is in your own eye? Or, the word either there means or, or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in your eye when you yourself do not behold the beam that's in your own eye. Here we see the second parable, a story of a, one guy with a big old log in his eye and the other guy with a tiny speck of dust or a splinter of hay in his eye. And the idea here is, why are you, the word there behold means to stare at something that's hard to see. I have glasses and I need them because stuff far away, like if I take this off, all y'all blurry out there. Like I don't know who's at church or who's not, so I gotta wear glasses. (laughs) Gotta keep my attendance. But the idea here is that you're staring at something that's almost impossible to see when it's this tiny speck in your brother's eye. But you're ignoring the word there, to not perceive, it means you're not paying any attention to, not giving careful consideration to the fact you got a giant old rafter beam in your eye. Now, if somebody was walking around with a big old log in their eye or a big old rafter beam in their eye, most of us would probably say something. They'd be like, yo, you got a, you got a log in your eye, man. But most of us would not be looking around, like looking at people, be like what are you looking at? I think, I think you might have like a piece of glitter in your hair. You know, you wouldn't do that. A second scenario or how can you say to your brother, brother, and there's some sanctimoniousness to that there. It's my duty to do this. You're my brother. Brother, let me pull out. And that word pull out means to throw out of the boat. I mean, you want to get rid of something. You're yanking something out, getting it out as fast as you can and dump it into the sea. Brother, you've got this really important thing in your eye. I know it's only a moat, but it's important to me and I need to get it out of your eye. Let me, which means you must allow me to do this when you're not even able to see the log in your own eye. Now, clearly, these are illustrations because nobody can fit a log or a rafter beam in their eye, nor would anyone ignore a log or a rafter beam in their eye. So what's the lesson? Well, Jesus says it at the end of 42. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of your own eye, and then you shall see clearly to pull out the mote that is in your brother's eye. The point isn't that I shouldn't sweat small stuff like, oh, it's no big deal, it's just a small sin. That's not the point. Nor is it that I shouldn't help other people with their faults, small or large. We should do that. The point is, don't be a hypocrite. The word hypocrite, it means one who pretends to be other than they really are. The second lesson that Jesus is trying to leave them with here, because they're angry. We are the poor, we're the hungry, we're the this, and you're telling us to love our enemies? And Jesus is going, that's what I do? And then the second thing he's going is don't pretend you're more spiritual than you are. That's the second lesson. Don't pretend you all are more spiritual than you are. It's easy to get angry at somebody. It's easy to see injustice or something wrong or something we don't agree with and shout at the wind. It's easy to do that. Anybody can do that. But to take a look at myself and say, Lord, what needs to change in my life? Too often we're out hunting for specs. Any reason to not like somebody. I'm not a fan of our previous president. I'm not a fan of our current president, all right? But if, they're gonna do, if they did something right, why would I make it wrong? Why would I say it was wrong? That's, that's what's messed up about our country right now. We're too entrenched into our own ideas of what needs to happen that we don't, won't even recognize when something good happens out there. Because right is right and wrong is wrong. You know, it's easy to get angry at stuff. The harder part is to look here and say, Lord, I don't want to pretend to be something I'm not. Are there any logs in my eye right now that I need to deal with, that I'm ignoring? That's what Jesus is getting at. I can know the Christian lingo. I can even give the appearance that I'm serving others. But if I ignore or I seek to cover up the glaring problems in my personal relationship with Jesus, I can't really help anybody. See, the danger of becoming like those religious leaders that were persecuting Jesus isn't limited to having the title Pharisee on your desk. Every single one of these people listening to Jesus right now, we here today right now are in the same danger if we prize the appearance of spirituality more than actual spirituality. Paul describes leaving that life behind in Philippians chapter 3. He says, you think you're spiritual? You think you have something you can boast about? You think you have a resume? Let me read you my resume. I am circumcised. I was of the stock of Israel And listen I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees concerning the law I was blameless passionate and zealous I was killing Christians man there was nobody out there at a resume like me but I counted it all trash for knowing Jesus I counted it all trash that I might know him the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his suffering and he goes you know what guess what I'm not there yet. (laughs) He goes, I have not apprehended. I have not grabbed hold of what Jesus grabbed hold of me for. I'm not perfect yet. I'm not like the master yet. So I am still pressing on to the high prize of my calling in Christ Jesus to know him. That's his calling, to know him. All the other stuff went by the wayside. And I love in, in Philippians three fifteen. he closes out that explanation by saying, let us therefore, now he turns it on us. Let us therefore, as many as be mature, be thus minded. If you're mature, then man, God's still working on me. I'm, I'm trying to grow, I'm seeking his face. I, w- I wanna change, I wanna be more like Jesus. And he says this, if any of you in anything be otherwise minded, if that's not your heart, God shall reveal even this unto you. And, you know, I ask you this morning, is that your heart? Lord, fix me. Not fix all the crazy people out there, but Lord, fix me. Or are you otherwise minded? Because if you're otherwise minded this morning, my prayer is, just like Paul, that God would show you right now so that you can fix that and make it right. Parable number three, verse 43. It says, verse 43, for a good tree brings not forth corrupt fruit, but that word for is a word, that's not correct. The word for there is a marker for a new thought. It's usually not even translated. So really the sentence starts, and a good tree brings not forth corrupt fruit. So now it's a third illustration. A good tree brings forth not forth corrupt fruit, neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns, men don't gather figs, nor from a bramble bush do they gather grapes. The idea here is there exists no good tree that produces rotten, diseased, or harmful fruit. I have a lemon tree in the backyard. I'm not going to find arsenic or something on that tree because it's a lemon tree. That's how that works. I found out something very interesting. Did you know that there are two kinds of almonds in the world? There are sweet almonds and then there are bitter almonds. Sweet almonds come from Australia, South Africa, the Mediterranean area, and the U.S., And they can be eaten raw or cooked with no issues, no big deal. However, bitter almonds are found in a different place. They're found in the Middle East and Asia. And if you were to eat seven to ten of them raw, you'll be dead. You'll be dead. Now, the poison has to be removed through heat, and then you can eat them. This is why bitter almonds are also called lethal almonds, because they'll kill you unless you cook them first. Now, please don't go rubbishing through your cabinets at home. You're in the U.S., so any almonds you'll have will probably be sweet almonds, okay? But that, I think, me saying that is Jesus' point. Jesus' point is we don't have to worry about getting bitter almonds here because they don't grow here, right? If you go to an almond tree in the U.S., you're going to get a sweet almond, okay? The idea here is if a tree is healthy, it's going to produce normal, healthy fruit, not poisonous fruit, If it's diseased or rotten, then whatever fruit it produces will be the same. Because every tree is known by its own fruit. Apple tree makes apples, not oranges. Orange tree makes oranges, not apples. For of thorns, from thorns, you don't gather figs. You get those from a fig tree, right? You get roses from thorn bushes or other things. Nor of a bramble bush do you gather grapes. A blackberry bush is a bramble bush. You're never going to find grapes there, but you will find blackberries. You'll find grapes on a grapevine. So common sense stuff, right? What's the point? Verse 45. And this is sermon illustration number three. And it said, I must invest my time in worthy things. For a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. Why? For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. The word good here, the word earlier good means healthy. But this word actually is a different word and it means of good moral character. In the same way that a healthy tree produces fruit that's healthy for you, a man who has good moral character, a woman who has good moral character, that stems from the good treasure that's in their heart. The word treasure there, it means that which is stored up because of its value. We don't, well, we do store trash, but it's to get rid of it. But we don't keep it, well, maybe you do. I don't know, maybe trash is your treasure. But most people I know don't treasure trash. We treasure, you know, if you have a coin collection or a stamp collection or a train collection or a stuffed animal collection, that's something you keep because you prize it. That's what the word here means. You store something up because of its value. So the idea here is a person's good moral character does not come from their profession of being spiritual, but by taking to heart the valuable things they learn in their relationship with God. That's where it comes from. Now, the opposite is true for someone who does wicked things. For a wicked man, which means immoral, corrupt, if someone is evil, immoral, corrupt, it says that they take that from out of the treasure, evil treasure of their heart. They have poured into their heart and stored up things that are wicked, corrupt, and immoral. Why does that happen? A principle, and here's the point. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth will speak. What my heart is full of is what's going to come out in my life. Garbage in, garbage out, as our moms used to tell us. My behavior is a direct result of what I take to heart, what I fill my mind with. It can't help but out, no matter how much I might protest, but I'm being spiritual, you know? I love Jesus, I'm a follower of the Lord. But if you're storing up evil things in your heart, that's what's gonna come out. If you're watching a bunch of shows with sex in it, don't be surprised that you struggle with lust or with loving your spouse, If you're reading articles or books that highlight infidelity or homosexuality, don't be surprised if you're getting bitter about your marriage or wondering if the Bible's correct on marriage. You will struggle with that. Jesus's point to this particular crowd is this. You're angry, I get it. But retaliating against the evil done to you simply proves that you're spending more time listening to angry diatribes about injustice or unfairness than to things that will show you what God is like and how he deals with those situations. When we're reacting like that, it shows we're putting something in and treasuring that because that's what's coming out. On the other hand, if we're pouring in things that are good, you know, if we invest our time in God's word in serving others and in true companionship, which means one that's not centered about around complaining, if I'm doing that, then it will produce good behavior in my life. I won't look at the evil that's out there and go, ah, rah rah rah, and then want to shout it to the wind. Rather, I'll be like, Lord, my heart's broken for that. This makes me angry. But Lord, you love these people and, and you want to change it. So Lord, will you send revival? Will you change me? Help me to have an impact positively in some way. Help me to make a difference. So I ask you this morning, do you need to stop investing time in something? today would be a good day if you, if that's the case. Today's a good day to stop investing in something that's causing wicked things to come out. There was a, a time, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago or so, and, and me and Bev, we're from the 80s. We, 80s music, we love it. 80s music is the best anyway, right? I saw some yeses. I think it's an older service in the morning because they were all on board with it. So. We were just laughing about the silly songs that we loved when we were kids. And, you know, that, that, that they were top hits. We're like, really? That was a top hit? So I came to work the next day, and, and I was working at Chick-fil-A at the time. As we were there, we had Z88. My owner would play Z88. And uh, Z is great, but it has a tendency at times to be repetitive and slightly old-fashioned. Like, if I hear shackles on my feet so I can dance one more time, I'm going to break the radio. Like, that song, I think, is from 1783. I'm like, we need to update it a little bit, okay? So we had been hearing some complaints lately at work. Like, I mean, the music's cool, but it's just too repetitive. Can we get something else? And so me, being the wise person I was, like, hey, guys, and because we all were from the 80s, and we're all talking about the silliness from it, like, hey, let's put on the classic rock station just for a couple days. And so we laughed, and we had memories, and we were just funny, whatever. But then it stayed on for a few weeks. And we noticed that arguments were flaring up a little bit more. I noticed in my own heart that I was thinking thoughts and a little bit more uptight than I had been before. I caught myself actually listening to the Rock Classic Cross Station on the way to work. And I was, Pastor Will was singing a song about a centerfold. And as we're driving, the Lord's like, centerfold, huh, Pastor Will? That's just, that's just That's great. And I thought, what have I done? I've put garbage in, and now I'm starting to get garbage out. You know, you know, If there's something you need to stop investing your time in, today's a good day to start.
0: In order for us to love as God loves, we must continue to fill ourselves with His Word and His presence. We must practice the presence of God in our lives if we truly want to live holy lives. We will never attain to sinless perfection in this life, but we can be filled to overflowing through the Holy Spirit as we yield each moment of our day to God's will for our lives. This is true life, to know God. And as we know more about Him, our lives are transformed to live and love as Jesus does. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel, Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.